This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta Products and Services, helping farmers increase their return on investment. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Todd Van Hoos, next. Commodity prices remain under pressure. That's why now, more than ever, farmers are focused on their return on investment. More and more, farmers depend on Syngenta products and services designed to increase their ROI. See the Syngenta Seed Innovations, made for better ROI. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. It's crunch time in farm country. Farmers are finalizing their plans for 2019, securing operating lines of credit with their lenders. The USDA sees slightly better farm income, but debt-to-asset ratios are expected to continue to climb. Todd Van Hoos, president and CEO of the Farm Credit Council, says there are not many spreadsheets projecting black ink on the bottom line. The ability to project profitability for 2019 is really difficult, especially in those grain and dairy areas. If there was a trade deal announced tomorrow, you would expect one thing. If it drags on for nine months, you're going to expect something totally different. And so the thing that we try to stress is let's put together a realistic plan based on things we know, and then let's talk about the things that could happen and how they're going to impact that plan. Because the last thing we want is for somebody to come in and get overextended because they hope something's going to happen. That just doesn't do anybody any good. And so we're really stressing. Let's, let's get real about these prices. Let's get real about the plans. And let's, let's find a way to make you successful. Talking about the end of 2018, I'd have to believe that there's a lot of crop in the bin that normally farmers would like to have had sold by now. Well, not only in the bin. The bins are full. But there's a whole lot of crops sitting on the ground out there. And, and you know, I'm hearing anecdotally that uh, the, the co-op's uh, elevator's full, the co-op is storing some grain on the ground, and now they're telling farmers, look, hold it on your farm. And, and everybody knows that when you start storing grain on the ground, especially at the farm level, you're going to have real deterioration in that. There's just no way around it. And so, yeah, that's a big concern right now. We're, we're, we're anxious to see some ships start to depart. How did we finish 2018, and how does that cross the threshold to 19? Well, we, we, we felt like we, we did okay in 2018. I mean, if, as a lot of farmers uh, broke even, maybe they lost a little bit, maybe they made a little bit. One of the interesting things we heard was there's a lot of farmers out there that that trade adjustment payment was the difference between profit and loss for them. And, and so that was a very big deal and much appreciated out there. Our biggest concern, though, is when you project forward now and use the current level of prices, we're seeing a big percentage of our customers, again, especially in the grain business, that cannot show a profit. They can't project a profit. And, and at that point, those customers have to start thinking pretty hard about what can I change in my operation? What can we as lenders change to give them some breathing space? And, and we have a conversation around how can we work together to find the best possible outcome for 2019 because we frankly aren't projecting a lot of big changes in price. The Department of Agriculture and their latest forecast suggesting that farm income would be up this year, mm-hmm. but not a substantial amount when considering what the average would be for farm income between 2000 and now. 
We've seen those projections. We have no reason to doubt them. And while the, the net income number is something that's interesting, what we really spend a lot of time talking about is that net cash income because it's the net cash income that leads to farmers' ability to service their debt. And so we, we see an uptick in that as well, but again, well below the last 10-year average. How much restructuring has been taking place to keep producers afloat? Oh, I think I, I, I don't have a number on it, but a great deal. You know, when you when you get to the end of this year, right, and 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 you sit down with your lender and you look at, okay, here was my here's how much money I borrowed for the operating, uh, here's my mortgage. Um, it looked maybe I maybe I had enough to repay the full amount of the operating. Maybe I didn't. And and do I restructure my entire financial package? to maybe put a little bit more on the long-term side, maybe extend some payments out on the operating side. Uh, you know, farm credit system institutions are doing that all over the country. I've been around with this stuff for a long time, and, and when you go back 25 years you, and you talk about restructuring, you really talked about a much different thing. Restructuring of debt loads and, and farming operations is kind of a normal occurrence. At the end of every year, you, you kind of rebalance and make a plan for moving forward. So we are seeing that. Now, you know, we did see some money roll from operating into mortgage as people decided, okay, they can take a little more leverage on on the mortgage side to, to, to make a, a clean start on the operating side. So we did see some of that. Um, but everybody knows that that's not a long-term solution. You can only do that so long, and nobody, li- you know, farmers especially don't like to do that. So that's the reason we're seeing that debt-to-asset ratio rise a little bit. Very difficult to generalize agriculture overall because there's a difference between uh, the young farmer who's trying to take over for uh, a, a parent or assume the responsibility of a family or someone, pray tell, that's trying to start out simply on their own. Do you see vulnerable areas, especially compared to recent history? You know, it's it's interesting because I started asking that exact same question. Are we going to see younger farmers impacted more by this downturn? And and so far, we've not seen that. Obviously, every individual case is different. And, and I always tell people, look, don't look at statistics and forget about the people behind them. Because if if, it, if you're the farmer who's having a problem, it's a 100% problem, right? So we've got to be very sensitive to that. But but we're not seeing big deterioration in in the loans we've made to young farmers. Now, we aren't seeing a lot of fa- young farmers come in the door right now either. And so when you talk about loans made to young farmers, they were down a little bit in 2018 because the demand simply wasn't there. I mean, I think anybody would understand that was not a great year to kick off your farming operation last year. Well, between the dairy industry and certainly the swine industry, two of the biggest challenges from the livestock sector, they need to have a turnaround and need to have a turnaround quickly. Not much for the pork producer, but for the dairy farmer, do you see this new policy in the 18 bill, something that can help to prop up some of these operations? We do. We think this new dairy program that was in the in the farm bill, first of all, thanks to the Congress to passing that, we know that Colin Peterson certainly had a big role in, in, in that, and we are grateful for that. So especially when you start to talk about the moderate-sized family dairy operations, we're hopeful that this is going to give them a little bit of relief. But that said, look, it's it's a really tough time to be in dairy, and especially where we're looking, you know, some of the more traditional operators in the Midwest, maybe on the East Coast. 
uh, it's been very, very difficult for them. The economics of scale have been very difficult for dairy farmers, and I would say also for pork farmers to keep up with. That's exactly right. It, it, you know, it's we're we're really good at producing both of those things. I mean, the the advances people have been able to make in in dairy output, in in pork output. And, and especially when you consider some of the trade things that are also impacting those sectors. I mean, people focus on grain, but those sectors are being impacted by trade as well. A big supply and an interruption in the supply chains is a pretty tough thing to deal with. So then let's think about the farm income picture. As I was told, the last quarter of 2018 was down, and that would have made 20 consecutive quarters where farm income had been lower than the previous quarter. That's a long trend that uh, certainly has chewed up a lot of equity. Is there enough equity to survive this 19? We think there's still a lot of equity out there. I'll give you an example of where we see it. So whenever some piece of farm ground comes up for sale, especially if it's in high quality, um, there's no shortage of people who want to jump in there and buy it. And so there are people with strong balance sheets. There are people uh, who, who, who are willing to expand right now. So we do still see that, and that's providing a, a, a really strong floor on land value out there. Uh, you know, land does not sit idle. And so we're, we're still seeing a strong market there. In addition, as, as we see a lot of these transactions take place out there, people aren't adding a lot of debt. And so there's a lot of you know, pure equity financing going on out there where people are putting cash in and buying. And and we're still seeing that. I'll quote a story from this past week where the Realtors Land Institute said between March 118 and March 119, Iowa land values down 2.7%. Now, that's their data. But for the area that you serve and the land base that you serve, what have you seen with regard to land values? Well, we, we see land values have been really holding their own. Now, the worst statistic in America is what's the average price of land in America, farmland in America? Because there's just no such thing as an average piece of ground. But I, but I can tell you that if, if you go back the last 10 years, you know, if you, if you put this in a little bit of a historical perspective, you know, 2008, think about what happened in 2008, the general economy, all the way to 2018 right now, um, Iowa farm grounds up 90%. I mean, you, you've seen big changes in farm in farmland values, so you're seeing some back off on that right now. But if you take a little longer perspective, you've still seen very strong growth in a lot of areas. And so, you know, frankly, a couple of our institutions have looked at what's the net income that we expect out there, right? And and see how that's going to decline, and then they would look at and try to extrapolate what's the land value going to be. And, and frankly, in a lot of areas, the, the fall-off that we would have anticipated in land values hasn't been nearly that big. So out of the skillet and then into the fire, let's look at the 116th Congress. You've got some new faces in the House, and you've got some standby faces that are still there in the Senate. Of the issues that you have heard or the ones that you're aware might, what are you watching on the political front? Well, we're, you know, on the issues that we're really watching closely on Capitol Hill, and I hear this everywhere I go. There's not a single state that I travel to in the in, in the United States, talking to farm credit people, talking to farmers, that somebody doesn't raise their hand and say, "Hey, we've got a labor problem." 
and and that just remains universal. People used to think about, oh, that's a that's a specialty crops issue, or oh, that's a dairy issue. It, it is a universal agriculture issue. We just don't have enough people to to work on farms, and and so the the immigration debate is something we care a great deal about. But but really, what we're talking about is how are we going to find a way to get people into this country who want to work in agriculture and see an opportunity for them and their family for future in agriculture? Well, we need those people. It was mentioned uh, in hearings this past week in Washington that there could be an ag labor bill that might be coming in the House, uh, hopefully to find some traction and then to the Senate. Uh, the question is, is there po- the political will leading up to a 2020 White House election that could see this thing cross the finish line? We sure hope so. I mean, we, we've been advocating for a farm labor fix for oh boy, more than 20 years now that I can recall. I mean, this has been an annual discussion, and every year it just gets worse. And so for years, you know, a fix that I think most people could probably find an agreement around, right? We, I think most people would acknowledge we've got an ag labor problem. I think most people could probably find some agreement on a way to get a, a legal workforce who wants to come into this country and work for agriculture. But when that gets bogged down in the bitter politics around the broader immigration debate, they, they just can't unwind the knot. I'm hopeful. I'm, you know, keep hope alive on that. There is little doubt that Canada and Mexico are critical to U.S. agriculture and the ability to sell to our neighbors to the north and to the south. But in order to continue that relationship, the Congress will have to approve a USMCA. What are your thoughts? You know, I had a I had the opportunity to speak to a group of college kids involved in agriculture. Ag Future of America was the organization there, and they asked me that same question. And I said, you know, I've been watching trade deals in Washington for 30 years, and there's there's one thing about every trade deal compared to the last one that I can I can most assuredly say, and and that is it's incrementally better than what we had before. And so in, in almost every agreement that the U.S. makes, you, you can criticize all of them. You can find a flaw in every single one of them. But if you take it on, on the total and you compare it to where we were, almost all of them are incrementally better. And, and you know, I started to get a lot of questions from the kids there. Well, well why, why couldn't we get this or why couldn't we get that? And I said, listen, guys, this is not a unilateral debate. We have to agree with the other country, and, and I think that the administration has done a very nice job in negotiating this USMCA. I mean, clearly there are some some segments that would like it to be better in the industry. Uh, We would, too. Uh, But as I say, most of these agreements, if you really look at them on balance, are incrementally in the right direction. Budget deficit is growing, and there is a debate coming soon about a debt ceiling. Plenty of activity in the Fed of coming and unwinding some of the support for the economy in 2018. Now some questions into 2019. How do you see the U.S. economy as it relates to agriculture? Well, we, we still see a pretty robust economy out there. You know, a lot of times in the past we used to talk about uh, rural communities being very dependent on agriculture. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of turned around in a lot of areas where you see more and more agriculture has a big stake in the rural economy because for a lot of farms out there to continue, you know, somebody has to have a job where they get benefits, right? Somebody gets it, has a job in town where they have health care benefits. It takes a load of pressure off of that farming operation. And so there's real synergy in the, between the general economy and the farm economy. The general economy is still doing very well, and that's helping the farm economy. 
I think if we can get some trade worked out, the farm economy is going to get better. Uh, so we're, we're cautiously optimistic that we're going to see a, a, a rebound here. The, you know, as bankers, one of the things we always tell people is we're very lucky at the moment because interest rates continue to be very low. And so as debt loads rise a little bit, the good news is the interest folks are paying on that is not that bad. I mean, I think people, anybody that's been in business for 20 years can certainly remember times, in fact, the bulk of their time, where interest rates have been way higher than they are right now. From your perspective, what happens if Congress continues to kick the can on an infrastructure piece of legislation? Boy, we are really interested in that because we have been trying to work with the Congress on a, on a especially a, a, a rural infrastructure package. You know, we, we started this organization a couple of years ago called Rebuild Rural, which has now grown to some 240, maybe 250 different uh, rural organizations from all across the country who are standing up and saying our our infrastructure in rural America is deteriorating. If you're going to want us to compete in the modern world, we're going to have to invest in infrastructure. And, and maybe even more importantly than that basic understanding is that the needs in rural America are dramatically different than in, in urban America. And any infrastructure bill that moves forward, and we're really encouraging Congress to do that, needs to have a very separate and distinct rural part of it. Otherwise, we'll get swallowed up by some of the urban needs. It's almost a, a blanket statement by commodity groups that crop insurance is the most important risk management tool that they have. Yet the president's fiscal year 2020 budget would take $26 billion out of crop insurance. It would lower the subsidy rate. It would take away the harvest price option. It would introduce a means test. Uh, realizing that uh, the Congress probably will not take the president's budget to heart, how does the how does the introduction of these ideas affect future debate? You know, we should never be afraid to debate the crop insurance program because the truth is it works. And if you look at, at the benefits that the crop insurance program is delivering right now to farm families across this country, I, I don't think any unbiased person would look out there and say anything but, man, that thing's working. And so we're, we're strongly supportive of the crop insurance program. We, we think Congress settled that debate in the farm bill. We, we don't want to see that reopened. Uh, we just, I, you know, when you start to sit down and talk to a farmer about renewing their operating line, renewing their financing package for 2019, if it wasn't for crop insurance, there'd be a whole lot of bad answers out there. And so we're, we're absolutely committed to maintaining a strong uh, crop insurance program. We think Congress did that in the farm bill, and we sure hope not to have to rehash that whole debate. Can you define as a lender one that works very closely with farmers this huge political cloud that is over the top of the industry right now, whether it's trade, whether it's policy, uh, add in weather, add in all the other circumstances? What's it like to be a farmer now from your perspective for that group? I think it's as tough a time as it, it certainly is, as I've been around to be a farmer right now. And, and you just touched on a few of the things. When you, when you add into that the perception of farmers, the, the changing consumer demand for food, the environmental uh, discussions that are ongoing, the climate change discussions that are ongoing, it's a very tough job. And if you talk to farmers on a routine basis the way that we do in Farm Credit, you, you realize these are incredible managers. And they're actually thinking about every one of those issues. 
I mean, imagine trying to, to worry about the traditional risks, right? How do we handle weather? How, how do we handle markets? Everybody's known that for a long, long time, but now enter in this whole another level of complex issues that farmers are having to deal with. I think it's very tough. And the, the managers in farming today, the people running these organizations, are so much more sophisticated than most people understand. And the job of farming is so much more complicated than it used to be. Um, these are some of the most sophisticated businessmen and women out there that you're going to run across, and, and they're managing these risks and planning for the future. Well, Todd Danhus, we want to thank you for taking time to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is an open mic. You've been here before, and you know you have the last word. Well, thank you. I, we really appreciate the, the attention here. I, it, our message is pretty clear. Um, this is a tough time in agriculture, and Farm Credit is trying to find the best possible outcome for its customers. Uh, we've hired more people to, to do servicing on loans. We've hired more people to come in and provide educational opportunities for farmers to help them learn to manage more of these complexities. Uh, we're restructuring loans out there. We're making sure that our operations stay efficient so we can deliver low interest rates to them. Uh, we, we're doing everything we can because in the end, we're very bullish on the future of American agriculture. We have a very straightforward mission support rural communities and agriculture and we've got a lot of capacity to do that we're working every day to make sure farmers have a bright future our thanks to todd van hoos president and ceo of the farm credit council our guest this week on open mic agripulse open mic is brought to you by syngenta syngenta products and services helping farmers increase their return on investment for agripulse i'm jeff alley